0: Homeless friend Jimmy, who's now gone to be with the Lord, was standing in Western, like waving people in, kind of strung out and just waving people into the parking lot one day and I had to go get him out of the road. and said, like, why don't we come to the side of the edge here and wave him in that way? I mean, this place means a lot to us. And we have been here since we moved into our new location back in uh, October. So we were a little out of practice setting up. And so this morning, I bet you spent your Easter a little bit different than I did. Um, I went over to, we have a storage kind of facility over yonder there on 50th and we keep a, all of our old banners and things. And, you know, we'd gotten most of the stuff ready, but I was going to go over there this morning and I went over there and I punched my code in and it said like access suspended or whatever, which I was like, well, that's not good. And so I punched in again and again and again and again and again. So finally what I figured out I was going to have to do was I had the keys. If I could just get into our trailer because we got a trailer. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Watch this. Awesome. Okay, so I figured, you know, here's what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to actually literally break into the storage unit to see if I can get our stuff out. And so I was deciding on how I was going to break in. I'm not as limber as I used to be back in my days, but I was going up over the fence. And so I figured it was kind of a fence on an angle, and I was climbing the wall a little bit, and I was throwing my leg over, which isn't quite as small as it used to be, and I was throwing it over. And all of a sudden, I heard my pants rip, right? This is my first rodeo. I didn't wear my good pants, but I knew I didn't have a backup pair of pants. And I was sitting on that fence straddling it. I looked up on the security camera. It's right there on the corner. And I got this big tear in my pants. But, you know, just like Jesus would have wanted, I'm going to go steal our stuff back from the place that suspended my access to get in. And uh, so, anyway, I get in the trailer, and, of course, the things I'm looking for aren't there. So I have to go back out over the fence. And let me tell you how you know you're married to a really amazing woman. When you send her this text, it says... Breaking into a storage unit, tore my pants, can you bring me a new pair before church? And she doesn't say anything but sure, right? No no questions, no anything, just, all right, yeah, I mean, sure, why not? Breaking into a storage unit, you got church, need some new pants, don't want anybody to know you got a hole in your pants there, and so, um, yeah, so that's how you know you're married to a really great, great person. So, well, we're glad you're here this morning, no matter, no matter what, and we are celebrating the Risen Christ. The exciting thing that we have going on is that our God is alive and he has called us to be in his presence. And we've got really two ways we're celebrating. One, we're celebrating the sort of moment of the resurrection, the event which some 2,000 years ago changed all of human history forever. Right? But we're also celebrating the resurrection which is a person. That the resurrection isn't just solely an event. But Jesus himself says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though that he dies. He declares that. And so what we're really celebrating is not some just point in time in history, but we're celebrating a God that says, I am alive and I am new life. And so what I want you to do for me this morning is I want you to just sort of take all of your preconceived notions and ideas and thoughts and histories about Easter and all those things that you did this morning and you have waiting for you, baskets and and lunches and times, and just for a moment suspend them just not not that they're wrong or bad just suspend them for a moment and for the next moments let's spend time with the God who has called us to life because Aunt Melinda and her ham they are going to be just fine for the next 20 minutes so let's not panic about all that and all those kind of things let's just embrace God's word we're going to be in the book of John if you brought your Bible with you we used to have a bunch but then you know we don't anymore, so, but we're going to get some. But we, uh, we're going to be in the book of John, and um, we're going to be there this morning. And I'm going to revisit a little bit of a lesser-known event that took place on this time in history. And I'm going to paraphrase to get us there. But we're going to look at an event that happened that night long after sort of sun has kind of come up. The sun has since set. The disciples are almost all the disciples are gathered together, right, kind of unpacking what in the world just happened on this Easter morning. And we're going to look at an event that sort of um, began a uh, kind of a snowball effect in the life of somebody that I think is uh, very similar to my life and hopefully on some level very similar to yours. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and flip to John chapter 20 and, and I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to paraphrase a few things and then we're going to read it together. So, Lord, we thank you that you are a good God, that you call us to life in you. God, we thank you that you are bigger than all that we know. the Father, you are bigger than... Um, all of our expectations. And as we explored last week and talked about during Palm Sunday, Father, you, you blow our expectations away. You are bigger than all those things. And this morning we gather and celebrate in this place that you're alive. That all things are new with you. And that, God, you have saved us through the death and resurrection of your son. That when we put our hope and our trust in him, you promise us new life. And not just new life when we die. But, God, new life that begins today, eternal life begins today. We're so grateful. And so we, we also recognize, Lord, that all over the world this morning there are believers gathered. God, we want to be a church that has a global heart. And we realize that all over the world, Father, this morning or, or whatever time differences there are, believers are gathered. They're gathered in China and Guatemala and in Bosnia. They're gathered in, in Africa. Father, they're gathered in all the countries that we love and support. And all over the world these believers are huddled together. And, God, they are celebrating um, the same resurrection that we are. And so this morning, Father, we recognize that. And we also recognize that those places aren't always easy places to be Christians, that there's persecution that's very real. And, uh, Father, we have such great liberty. We put on our fancy clothes and we show up at church. And uh, we have total freedom to do that. And so, God, this morning, penetrate our hearts with the reality that there have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men and women that have given their life for this gospel that we celebrate so freely. So, Lord, as we open your word, penetrate us uh, with your truth, resound it in our hearts, and let us celebrate this truth together this morning. We ask this in Jesus' perfect and holy name. Amen. I feel a bit like some kind of stand-up comic guy. I've got some good jokes. Tip your waitress. Kind of deal. Um, well, We're kind of in a bar. I mean, it kind of works on some level. So, um, so here's the thing. Let me catch you up to speed on where we are, and then I'm going to read some text to you. Um, obviously we're pretty familiar with the resurrection. I mean, look how many people are here. It's Easter, right? We have to come to church. And so we're all kind of familiar with what's going on. Jesus is raised from the dead. I'm supposed to come to church this day. We celebrate that the tomb is empty, that the stone has been rolled away, and we gather in this place. And, and the gospels kind of record it, the, the events a little bit different, but all with the same kind of passion and similarity. And John records it this way. He says that very early while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, she gets up and she goes to to just sort of check on and tend to Jesus' body. And when she gets there, The the tomb, the stone that was blocking the kind of the entry to that tomb, had been rolled away, right, and and Jesus' body was not there. And so she takes off to go and find the other disciples and tell them that Jesus' body was gone, and so she goes running back into town, and she finds John, and she finds Peter, and she tells them Jesus is gone, his body is gone, and so they get up and they run, and as the story goes, or as John records it, you know, Peter is running, but John is so much faster because it's his gospel, and he gets to make himself faster. When I write my own stories, I'm always faster, I'm always skinnier, right, I'm always better looking, and so I'm always younger, and so, but John is faster, and he is running, and he is faster. He beats Peter and he gets there, but he doesn't go in. He gets to the edge and he looks into this tomb and and he can see the strips of linen that were laying there, but no body of Jesus. And then here comes Peter kind of running down this road and he just sort of barrels right into this tomb and ducks and he gets in there and he's standing there and John finally goes in. And they're both kind of astounded because here they are in the presence of this empty tomb with these folded linens that were once the burial cloths for now the risen Christ. Or they don't know what. Jesus is just gone. And so the disciples are standing there looking, and, and Mary's standing there now with them, and they're all sort of awestruck a little bit. And then John records it that Peter and John returned and went back to their houses. And Mary is left standing there outside the tomb weeping. Just weeping uncontrollably. That that kind of Greek word there is sort of this mourning sobbing word, this this just heavy set kind of crying, unsure of what's taken place. The disciples, John and Peter, return home, and and Mary's left outside that tomb, and she is just weeping. And as she leans over to look back in, she sees these two angels that are kind of dressed in white sitting on the edge there, and they say, Who are you looking for? Why are you crying? Right? And then she hears a voice from over her shoulder, and that voice says, Woman, why are you crying? And she turns to that person, and the, John says that she can't recognize it, but it's Jesus. And she turns to that person, and she says, if you've taken his body, just please, sir, tell me where it is. She thought it was the gardener. She's like, if you've just taken him, please tell me, sir, where he is, and I will go get him. And then John records that Jesus said this, Mary. He just said her name, Mary. And she said, it says immediately she threw herself at his feet and cried out, Rabboni, which is an Aramaic word which means teacher, but really was used in Judaism to sort of address God in prayer. And it really was a, kind of an, a, a call to this being God. She throws herself at Jesus' feet and says, Rabboni, and she lays there sobbing and weeping. And Jesus basically pulls her up and says, you can't hang on to me right now. I've yet to even return to the Father. And then she goes back and joins the disciples. And then John records that they were gathered together that evening. The sun has long since set. Jesus had made a few appearances, but the disciples, almost all the disciples are gathered in this room. Judas had already taken his own life, and they're gathered there. And they're looking at each other, kind of going, what do we do? The door's locked, they're petrified of the Jewish people going to come in because if the Jews had stolen the body of Jesus or if Jesus really was alive, surely they're going to come back for them. And they were petrified and scared and they were gathered in this room. And it said with the door still locked, Jesus shows up in the middle of the room and he says, peace be with you, which is a a really Jewish kind of customary greeting. He says, peace be with you. And then he takes his hands and he shows him his hands and he shows him his side. And they look and they are astonished. And then he tells them this, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And so that's what we're going to pick up. The disciples have, have heard that Jesus was raised. Some of them have had an encounter with him. Mary has seen him. They've gathered in this upper room. And now they've all just seen with their own eyes the resurrected Christ. They've seen the scars in his hands. They've seen the pierced side. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm getting ready to send you into the world. And we're going to pick up in John chapter 20 this morning. And uh, we're going to look at a little bit lesser known event that this kind of piece begins to unfold for us. So John chapter 20, verse 24, this is where we are this morning. Now Thomas, called Didymus, which means twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I place my fingers where the nails were and my hands into his side, I will not believe it. One week later, his disciples were in the house again. This time Thomas was with them. And through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me and you have believed, blessed are you who have not seen and have yet to believe. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in their presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So the disciples are gathered in this upper room. And Jesus shows up, and he shows them his hands, and he shows them his side, and then he tells them, I'm getting ready to send you into the world. And we learn really quickly as we read this that Thomas, for whatever reason, wasn't present. All the disciples except for Judas, who had already taken his life, were there. There were some other people in the room, but Thomas, for whatever reason, wasn't. I don't know if he was on a potty break or a Union 5, or he had a deal happening downtown or whatever. He was not there. And so the disciples who had spent so much time together, I mean countless hours, hours every day for three years, right? Recognize that Thomas would have loved this. I mean, Thomas isn't here. We just saw Jesus. This is unbelievable. They're ecstatic. You can almost get the sense that they bust out of that room and they go and find Thomas and they're like, hey, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead and we've seen him. We saw it with our very own eyes. And then we get this very famous response from Thomas, right? Thomas says, unless I see his nail-scarred hands... Unless I can take my fingers and I can place them in his side, then I will not believe, right? Which is the exact same thing that the other disciples had already seen. Jesus showed them his hands and he showed them his side. And they were probably telling him, they were saying, listen, we saw, we saw his hands, we saw his sides. And Thomas says, unless I can see those things and touch them myself, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. And Easter night in John's account just sort of ends it ends with the disciples telling Thomas and Thomas saying, I won't have it. I can't believe it. And then John picks up and he says, one week later. I'd love to know what happened during that week. I mean, there's different accounts of how Jesus had made some other resurrection appearances. But John leaves it blank. All the conversations that must have unfolded, all the disciples talking about how they had seen Jesus and Thomas still going, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't even know if this is real. I haven't seen it. I don't know. He's not a part of whatever it is that they're a part of. Well, one week later to the day, they're gathered back in that house with the door locked, still petrified for their lives. Yet John records this time Thomas was there. And Jesus shows up in the exact same manner, in the exact same way with the door locked and says, peace be with you. And he turns right to Thomas. John basically records that he doesn't address anyone else. And he looks at Thomas and he says, touch my hands. Put your fingers in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas responds with one line, my Lord and my God. And then John records that these things were written, basically the key to his whole gospel. These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and have life in his name. You know, I love this sort of resurrection picture. Because I think there's a reality here for me. Um, and maybe for you that's really important. A lot of times on Sundays of, the Sundays of Easter, we get together and we tell the story of rolled away stones and empty tombs, and, the, and those are all amazing and real. But if you're like me, I live in a real world where my life is a mess, and the things that I do are messy, and I have doubts and fears that creep into my life every single moment of every single day. And as I've said before, everything in my life is not like Christian rainbows and bubble machines. I mean, there are difficulties. And I resonate a little bit with Thomas. And I don't want you to focus so much on him. I mean, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. I mean, what if you were remembered for all of history for one sentence? I mean, Thomas was a man of courage and a man of faithfulness. He walked alongside Jesus day after day after day. He proclaimed Christ. Yet we remember him as the guy that doubted. He has one line, unless I see those nail-scarred hands and I put my finger in there, I'm not going to believe. And forever now, society knows him as don't be a doubting Thomas, right? That's what he's associated with. But I think he gets a bad rap because I think all the other disciples were like super excited. He didn't get to see it, and so he's kind of like, I want to see that to truly allow my heart to believe. I want to believe you, but I need to see it. I want to touch it. I want to experience it for myself. I want to touch Jesus. I think he gets kind of a bad rap. So I don't want you to focus so much on Thomas, but sort of the reality that surrounds this whole thing. Because there's a couple of things I want you to see this morning. The first is that I believe that Thomas's doubts and fears, and I think they're fears because most of our doubts are really just fears in disguise, that Thomas's doubts and fears are real, and I think so are yours and so are mine. Let me explain that this way. I don't think Thomas just didn't want to believe. I think every part of Thomas probably wanted to believe. But this was the most unbelievable news you'd ever heard. I mean, this is even for a guy who had seen Jesus do incredible things, feed 5,000, cast out demons, raise Lazarus. But this was too much. It just seemed like, how can I really believe that? I saw him pierced. I saw him nailed to that Roman instrument of death. I saw that spear pierce his side. I watched the blood and water flow separate out of his body. I want to believe, but this just seems like too much. And if I do believe, what does that mean for me? And I believe that his doubts and fears were real. They just weren't some hard-headed guy. I mean, this is a guy who had seen Jesus do the immeasurable, the unmentionable, the amazing. It's not like he's just a doubter. But I believe his doubts were based on fears that were based on a lot of reality. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we have them too. I mean, what if all this isn't real? What if we got all dressed up for nothing? Words of Braveheart. Have you ever had that thought? You ever had that fear that said, what if God doesn't answer this for me? What if I pray and I pray and I pray and God never shows up? I believe that our doubts and our fears are extremely real. I believe as Christians, we're told that we can't have them, and we're told not to embrace them, and so we fear them. We fear the fact that we are doubting or wondering or curious or questioning or, or deeply want to believe, but our heart just won't let us get there for whatever that thing is, that God will truly protect me, provide for me, and love me. And all my life, I've been told I'm unlovable. So what makes this God different than everybody else? See, I believe our doubts and our fears are incredibly real. Thomas gets a bad rap because it's not really about the event. I believe it's steeped in something deeper, and I believe it's that way for us. And so we come here and we, we mask a lot of those things, but they're, they're there. And they may not be huge, colossal, like I don't know if God's real, but maybe it's like I don't know if God is big enough to actually deal with me. Like I see him do it in the lives of everybody else. I see him move in their hearts, but, but what about me? Why am I still feeling so broken? What if I've done so much wrong that God has forgotten me or God has washed his hands of me? Those doubts are real. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Thomas' doubts and fears are real, and so are yours, and so are mine, and that's okay. The second thing I really see in this passage is that, and this is sort of like a, a bigger spiritual truth, <clears throat> that Jesus loves the individual and shows up right in the middle of their lives. This is a spiritual truth that you can trace all through the life of Christ. Jesus loves the individual and shows up right in the middle of their lives. Meaning simply this, in our moments of brokenness and fear and doubt, Jesus will show up in the middle of it. He never requires us to fix ourselves, to put it together, to get grips with reality, and show up where he is. Never. You never can and you never will be able to. Jesus always steps in the middle of people's lives blind man by the side of the road, been told all of his life he was an outcast and his sin has caused this sort of affliction that he had, this sort of deafness. Jesus takes him off to the side and he spits in his hand and he basically touches a man's tongue, touching the very source of his pain. Jesus shows up always in the middle of people's pain. Look at Mary. Mary Magdalene is leaning outside this tomb and she is weeping, sobbing uncontrollably. Jesus' body is gone. She has no idea what's going on. She sees these, these figures, these angels, which she's not even really sure who they are, and they're telling her that body's gone, and she's struck, with, struck with fear. And Jesus says, woman, why are you crying? And she turns and doesn't even know it's him because he hasn't revealed himself to her. He says, woman, why are you crying? And she says, if you've taken him, please just tell me, and I'll go get his body. And he looks at her and he says, Mary. And instantly, instantly she throws herself at his feet. Right in the middle of her sadness and her fear and her doubts, Jesus shows up and he calls her by name. Jesus loves the individual. I mean, look at Thomas. Thomas was clamoring for the same type of thing that the other disciples had. I want to I touch those hands. I want to see those scars. I want to put my fingers right in the middle of it. And Jesus shows up in the room with everybody One week later, doors locked, people huddled together in fear. And John records that he didn't address anybody else but Thomas. And he says, Thomas, touch me. Stop doubting and believe. Right in the middle of it. He didn't ridicule Thomas and say, hey, put it together, man. Look at what everybody else is believing. Just believe them. Quit being so ridiculous. He says, go ahead. Touch me. I love this picture of Jesus because I believe this is exactly what God does in our lives. He shows up in the middle of our doubts and fears. He doesn't say that we have to figure it all out and come to grips with reality. He doesn't say, get your questions answered. Find out the exact reasons why I exist. Go to all the sources that you know. And when you finally figure it out, then, then you and I will be okay. But he shows up in the middle of all of my questions and fears and doubts and failures. And he says, I love you. I love you. So ask your questions, fire them away. I can handle them. The God of the universe can handle your biggest questions, trust me. People have asked bigger ones. God can handle your doubts. He can handle your insecurities and your fears and your failures. And he wants to show up in the middle of your life and say, I love you. And this morning, I truly believe that's exactly what God's doing. He's showing up in the middle of our sort of well-dressedness, right? And he's saying, I can see through all of that. I can see through all the new clothes and your first time to church in 12 months. I see through all those things, and I know that your heart is hurting for this or for that or whatever. But I love you deeply, and it's okay. And I almost believe that's exactly what Jesus was saying to Mary and Thomas as she's sobbing and as Thomas is broken. He's saying it's okay. And he calls them both by name, Mary And he looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, Jesus calling you by name. So we've got this sort of Jesus that understands that our doubts and our fears are real. And he shows up in the middle of our life. But look at how these people respond. Because I believe there's only one real response when Jesus shows up in the middle of our lives. And that response is worship. Look at what Mary does. As soon as Jesus says, Mary... She throws herself at him and cries out, Rabboni, which is that Jewish term meant to kind of call out to God in prayer. She throws herself at his feet, sobbing and awe. The moment she recognized that Jesus had shown up in her life, right in the middle of her fears, he doesn't say, why are you crying? I told you i do this. Dry those eyes. This is what I say to my kids all the time. Dry them up. Come on. writers, don't cry. Do some push-ups. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus goes, I love you, Mary. He does the same thing with Thomas. And you know what Thomas's response is? His response is, my Lord and my God. As soon as he touches Jesus' side in his hands, he says, my Lord and my God. And make no mistake, that is worship. We have misdefined worship as some kind of uh, liturgy or songs that we sing. But worship is a condition of our heart. It's our recognition of who God is and who we're not. That's what worship is. And what Thomas did was he engaged in this sort of ultimate act of worship where he says, you are not only my God, but you are the Lord of my life. See, Thomas's recognition of who God is and who he was with all of his doubts and fears and failures was worship. And this morning we gather in this place, and I believe that the resurrected Christ, the living God, shows up in the middle of whatever fears and failures, struggles and hurts and pains and difficulties you have he's not ashamed of you and he's not mad that you have them but he wants to show up in the middle of them and show you just how much he loves you and just how real he is and the only appropriate response then we have is worship is to basically just say god you are that great and i'm really not and that's the first act of worship ever people that threw themselves on the ground in the presence of christ But look at how John, and I'll wrap everything up with this, wraps up this little portion of his letter. He says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says, listen. The key to my entire gospel, and really the key to these accounts of the resurrection, are really this. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing that, you might have life in his name. A lot of times we think the gospel message is really so that we don't have to go to hell when we die. Like if I just believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then, then I can be saved and I don't have to go down there when I die. But really what scripture tells us is that when we believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he is our Lord and Savior, we have life and life begins today. John, John chapter 10 calls it abundant life, full life. That we are created to have full and abundant life now. Right this moment that eternal life begins here. Not some kind of day from now, whenever that day is and we find ourselves no longer drawing breath. But eternal life begins now. And the gospel that Jesus was raised so that we could experience a sort of truthful, amazing life today. That's what Easter's about. It's not about gathering once a Sunday or a, once a year on this particular Sunday to, to sing some stuff and make sure that we're covered for the rest of the year. But Jesus wants to engage in you. Engage your fears and struggles and failures. Tell you how much he loves you and say, I have a better life for you. I've got a real, full, abundant life for you. Not this masquerade that you've created. I've got something real and authentic, and I will walk you through it. That's the picture of the gospel. That by believing in Jesus, the risen Savior, that we would have life. Now, today, in this very moment. This afternoon, we're going to be celebrating this sort of life-giving moment. We're getting together to baptize some folks that have given their life to Christ. And and if you want to be part of that, we would love to do that. The Bible teaches us that baptism is the response to this belief that Jesus is God. It's a public profession saying, God, I love you and I want new life today. We'd love to have you be a part of that. This morning, we gather to celebrate that truth that Jesus died and was raised from the dead So that in that we might have life. That's the gospel. And that God doesn't ask to have a very pretty life all put together with all of your questions answered. But he says, in the middle of your doubts, in the middle of your fears, in the middle of all the things you think I can't and won't do, let me show up in the middle. Just surrender your heart and I'll show you how big I truly am. So this morning as we close our time in worship and we, we kind of wrap up our little moments of Easter worship, I want you to ask yourself that. What are, my, what are my struggles and my fears? What are the things that I haven't wanted to mention out loud because I know that my other Christian friends around me are well, they're going to think I'm ridiculous? God, what do I know so deep in my heart that I'm afraid to even tell you? And then invite God to show up in the middle of it and just blow it up. And say, Mary, Thomas, I love you. That's the picture of the risen Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these moments to gather here. I thank you for every heartbeat in this room. I thank you for all the things that you've done through us and around us and in us. God, I thank you that we gather here this morning not to celebrate an event, but to celebrate a person. And that, God, in all of my fears and failures and doubts and frustrations and struggles, you show up in the middle of them and you say, I love you. And I know that that promise is true for every single person in this room. That just as you whispered Mary's name and as you whispered Thomas's name and as you met them in the middle of their fears, God, you will do that in the middle of our lives. And so this morning as we come face to face with the gospel, God, I pray that we would be real and authentic and let you step in and blow up our world. God, our only response is worship. And as we hear this truth this morning, I pray that's exactly what we would do, is that we would worship. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time celebrating this God that meets us in the middle of our mess, meets us in the middle of our struggle, and says, I love you. Let's worship that God.